broadcasting worldwide. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Well, welcome, everybody, to this week's uh, Refresh Your Wealth show with Mark Kohler, Matt Sorensen. Excited to be here with you today. Now, uh, we've had a few comments from some listeners that, hey, you guys got to keep the energy level up. You know, I like your content, and this is tax and legal, but you got to keep it up. So I'm I'm setting the tone right now here, Matt. I'm setting the bar high. I want to welcome all of you new guests. Yeah, we're going to be excited today. I'll tell your wife that I'm going to get pumped up for this show because I know that's – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. We're going to get pumped up. A little Saturday Night Live throwback. So uh, welcome, everybody. If you're a new listener to our show, this is all about building your wealth, saving taxes, and then protecting it so you can better live the American dream and do what you like most. And if you're a workaholic and you like to work, well, then we're going to help you do it. If you have a hobby, we want you to do more of your hobby. So that's what the show's about. Now, you can catch us on iTunes. You can listen to us on biztalkradio.com, the refreshyourwealth.com site, and on 14 different AM stations around the country. So uh, you can find us. We're out there, and we're here to wow you. Yeah, every week, you know, just delivering refreshing information and ideas. And this week is going to be like every other week, Mark. We're talking about cybersecurity what you need to do now to protect your assets. Now this, I am actually excited for this topic because just last week alone, I had my credit card company call me and say, did you make a purchase at XYZ store online for $190? Was that Adam and Eve? No, no, okay, sorry. No, it was not. No, it was, not. It was Valentine's week, so that would not be out of the question. All right, I'm just making sure. You get a pass for that week alone, okay? Okay, that's like that week alone. Okay. All right. So, uh, anyways, uh, I don't even remember what it was for. It was some, it was some like business website actually. So uh, I was like, well, I don't recognize that charge. I asked around, no one, no one else knew what the heck that charge was for. So we disputed it. And I contacted the credit card company, and they said, ah, this is actually a common transaction here. They said, someone has your card, and they could tell where their quest was coming from. It's nowhere I knew anybody. They would have access to my card. And um, and they said they were doing this as a test transaction to see if it went through. If it did, they said they would have rang up a lot of big-ticket items uh, on the card. So glad they flagged it early. And, um, you know, we were able to uh, detect that fraud and obviously had to get new cards issued. But, I mean, I think all of us, whether you're business owner, investor, even just as consumers, we run into these common cybersecurity um, issues that really affect our credit, um, our finances, and obviously our wealth. So we're going to have Randy Lubke on. He's a financial advisor. Many of you know he's been on our show before. But he's got a little expertise in this in this uh, cybersecurity realm and has an awesome quick reference guide. Yeah, and also what I wanted to just throw out is beyond his little quick reference guide, he's got a survey that you can take online to test your own cybersecurity. And Matt, the big thing here I want to just say for our listeners is 
you can see that we've got a variety of different topics here. We're trying to lay them out here for you. You know, whether it's talking about estate planning for your pet, so when they meet you up in heaven, you know they were taken care of, your guns, it could be cybersecurity, it could be setting up your LLC or S-Corp the property way, tax strategies. It's all related, that tax and legal topic, asset protection. So thank you for letting us kind of push the limits here on some of the topics. Yeah, it's really a potpourri of topics, one, one might say. Yeah, gosh, that's a good one. You know, back in the day, folks, you'd laugh. Matt and I, we've been doing a, either a little radio show or something for, for years, and uh, it was so funny. We, before a show would begin, we would have to plant a certain word on a piece of paper to the other, and you had to work that word into the show in some way. And uh, <laughs> guys, we'd start laughing so hard on the show, and people had no idea. It was t terribly unprofessional. unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> is the worst inside joke out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. But uh, we might have, that, that kind of keeps us rolling, you know. So we have some fun on the show. But maybe we'll, but we'll have to do that again. And then when you get your word out there, we'll have to make note of it. So kind of fun. Yeah. Okay, now folks, here every week, uh, before we. Uh, uh, dive into the topic at hand. We do a tax and legal tip. And so uh, I think we're going to start with our tax tip first here today. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. Okay, we're, it's my opportunity as the local resident CPA on the show to share a little tax tip. I, I, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Uh, this is important. Um, back on December, oh gosh, it was about whew, 30th or something like that, right near the end of the year, Congress got together and passed the PATH Act. That was the Protection Americans from Tax Hikes Act. Pro sorry, Protecting Americans from Tax Hikes Act. And that's the PATH Act. Well, it was just, to use Matt's term, a cornucopia. Uh, oh, no, use potpourri. I'm going to use potpourri, cornucopia. yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, that was your word, so good yeah, job. There you go. I got it out. There we go. <laughs> um, it was it had a whole host of little strategy, uh, tax strategies and tax uh, uh, things that were passed along. And it was just very, very large tax act. So I got an article this week on the 20 top tax breaks that came out with the PATH Act. And without boring you and putting someone to sleep driving down the road and causing a, a major car accident, I'm just going to hit two of these that I thought were a little helpful here. And maybe over the next couple of weeks, I'll, hit, I'll, I'll keep this handy. And it's important to know what these extensions, permanent extensions of the tax law from President Bush through Obama over the last 10 years, there's been ups and downs trying to get us through this recession of all these little tax strategies and tax laws that were passed. Many were made permanent with the PATH Act. So two of them. First is the American, I want to talk about education. Uh, we're going to be having a show either next week or the week after where we talk about the uh, education uh, FAFSA and how to apply and help your children through tax strategies and wealth to get into school and through the FAFSA school grants and all that. So we're going to do a whole show on that. But I want to give a little tax tip, and that is the American Opportunity Tax uh, uh, Credit is – uh, the AOTC for higher education can be worth up to $2,500. So you can, uh, or for the uh, per student for the first four years of college. So this $2,500 tax credit is a big deal and uh, pretty exciting and good stuff. So you want to be thinking about that. 
And then if you don't go with the American Opportunity Tax Credit, you can go with the tuition deduction. Taxpayers can deduct tuition expenses up to a maximum of $4,000. Now, here's the, the tax tip here. You want to go into this with a little bit of planning. Talk to your tax accountant before the end of the year and say, hey, I got a kid in college. Should I pay for their education? Should they pay for it? Is it going to ruin the FAFSA application later? Um, maybe I should 1099 my child for working in my business. Let them pay for their own schooling. Do I still get the tuition credit even though they pay for it with their own money, but they're a dependent of mine? See, there's all these little tricks and strategies to it. Our accountants at our firm, K&E, Kohler and Air, CPAs, we understand this tax strategy when it comes to paying for your kid's education. So keep that in mind, the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the tuition deduction. So there you go. Just a couple little quick tips from the PATH Act on education. Matt, the time is yours. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for that, Mark. I got, you know, I can't believe it, but my own kid just took the ACT, you know, like two Oof. weeks ago. So I'm already having to think about this stuff. And, uh, uh, very, uh, very interesting. Good for even me to know. God, I can't believe I'm going to have kids in college. Yeah. All right. Well, let me turn over and I'm going to give a legal tip. A legal tip that you can actually use. A legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after. All right. Well, let's dive into this legal tip. And I know Mark said we got to keep this light. And I'm going to talk about the most interesting and really fascinating topic in contracts, and that is indemnification. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. Oh, woo. <laughs> Take it to a whole new level. Yeah. Woo. All right. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know you're all excited about this, but indemnification, the reason I want to talk about this is because this is one of the sections in your contracts. It's at the end. It's in that boilerplate section. I know you just glaze over it. You know, you just don't read it, but it's in your real estate contracts. It's in your business service agreements. It's out there. You got to know what the heck this is. You're signing agreements. I'll bet you've signed 10 to 20 agreements that have an indemnification clause in it. Wouldn't you like to know what that is? Well, we're going to come back after the break. I'm going to talk about what is indemnification, just so you know what it is and uh, know how it can protect you. We'll be right back. Okay, well, back everybody to refresh your wealth. Glad you're here with us, Mark and Matt, helping you every week better live your American dream. Here on Refresh Your Wealth, talking about cybersecurity and what you can do to better protect your assets uh, from an identity theft situation or who knows what. We're going to talk about that in depth here with our experts shortly. But we're wrapping up our legal tip and our question of the week's right around the corner here. But Matt, legal tip, indemnification, you're just going to blow us out of the water with that. Yeah. All right. Now, here's what indemnification means. Like I said, this is in almost every contract. Indemnification means if something happens, let's say that Mark and I enter into a contract and we have an indemnification clause and I'm supposed to provide services to Mark, let's say. And let's say that um, I do something wrong and someone sues Mark 
as a result of something that I did. Well, the indemnification clause is going to say, hey, Matt, you did something wrong that harmed me. So you must indemnify me, and this is Mark, so I have to indemnify Mark and cover any of his damages or losses. It's an indemnification clause. So when two people come together, it's a way to say, hey, we're going to work together on something, or there's somebody's providing services or goods to the other, but if one of us does something dumb or causes the other person harm from a third part, and a third party sues them, you got to cover my losses. So I would have to cover any of Mark's damages or losses. That's a standard indemnification clause. Now, one thing I want to give as a tip when you see these is make sure the indemnification clauses are mutual. That it says if either of us do something dumb, then the other the dumb person has to be responsible to the non-dumb person, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Now, sometimes you'll see a contract and it's only one-sided. It only says, hey, if you do something dumb, you got to indemnify me. But it doesn't say any. It doesn't give that same right back to the other party. So you want to make sure that it's mutual. Yeah. And one other thing that's interesting, I think a tip to go along with this is. Uh, many of you will see this in a standard contract, but how many of you go through the process of using a standard contract or a lawyer, right? You guys, how many calls, Matt, do you get every week? I could almost say every week where someone says, Hey, I got this problem. I had this deal with this guy and we'll say, okay, can you send over the contract? Well, it's kind of in some emails and we kind of agreed to this in an email, right? Well, and, and so the emails are binding contracts, folks. And if you don't have a real written agreement that has provisions like this, you're flying in the wind. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, I, I, uh, be careful. Yeah. And I say, you know, I had this come up on a client that did a, a joint venture agreement for a fix and flip type, you know, real estate investment. And two people joint ventured, the money partner and the work partner. Some went wrong on the property. Some contractor had an issue. Lawsuit ensued. And we needed an indemnification clause in there to bring in the party that was really responsible in guiding and directing that. And there wasn't an indemnification clause. So these clauses do matter. I know it's at the end and people are like, oh, why do you even have that stuff? But they matter. There's a reason they're built into almost every standard form contract you'll find out there. They really help protect an innocent party when someone else you're involved with in a transaction or an agreement does something dumb that hurts you. So look out for the them. Dumb. They're there for your protection. I like it. The dumb clause. The dumb clause. That's okay. right. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, uh, well, folks, it's that time of the week where we get to uh, talk about the question of the week, where is an opportunity for you as a listener to respond with an answer via text or email quickly while you're listening to the show, and you can win a free copy of Matt or mine's book, which is almost a $15 value when you look at shipping. Unless you have Amazon Prime, you might save a buck or two. This is, this is an investment by Matt and I in you, the listener. <laughs> Give this away. Yeah. So last week's question, we had a winner, Jane, over in Honolulu, Hawaii. I love her. She's a wonderful, great ongoing client, list, regular listener. She got the question right. So, Jane, we're going to be getting a book out to you. And the question was, can a child of yours under age 18 have a Roth IRA? And the answer is yes. What is so exciting is that your children can start building a retirement account investing it in what they know best, learning to invest in stocks and the Wall Street and the, the markets, or maybe even combining that Roth and an LLC with you on a, a unique real estate project, who knows? But they can start building wealth and take out those contributions tax-free for college later and let the earnings continue to grow. That's the Roth IRA. Now here's the catch. The child has to have earned income. So this brings us to the tax strategy of putting your kids on payroll. 
So we'd love to have all of our clients that have small businesses have their child, children on payroll. And when they're going to fund a Roth, issue a W-2 at the end of the year so they can go fund that Roth. So we uh, consistently recommend this. Love the strategy of a Roth IRA for children. And Jane got the question right. Yes, you can do so. It was a softball. Good job, Jane. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's one of those gifts you give to your kids that's like, you know, buying them a book, a good book or something. Give them a Roth IRA. That's just one of those, you know, those like good gifts to give your kids that they, you know, don't give them something that's just junk they're not going to really need. Give them something, you, you know, you believe in. And I don't know. I think it's a great tool to teach them, too, about investing. Yeah, they really appreciate it. I think when I gave Molly her first Roth IRA, she took it to bed with her and snuggled up with it and <laughs> just laid in bed on Christmas night and had her little Roth IRA right there on an envelope. It was special. Yeah. Well, she, you know, let her log into her account and, you know, buy some Disney stock or something, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I did throw out my Selena Gomez strategy with IRAs. We'll do that another day. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's exciting. Okay, now, Matt, you've got the question for this week. Is yeah. Lead, the, right? Yeah. Is, are you liable? That's what I'm going with this week. Okay. Okay. Are you liable? Okay. All right. Here's the scenario. John owns a, owns an investment property. He's got a rental. He owns it in his personal name, and he says, ah, doing some estate planning. I want to add on my daughter Jane to the property. So he adds on his daughter Jane, said, and you know, adds her on a title with, with the joint tenants rights of survivorship that says when John dies, the property will go to his daughter Jane because he really wants Jane to have the property when he dies. And this is, he feel, feels like a pretty good estate planning mechanism. He doesn't have to do a will or a trust or anything like that. So he just adds her on title with him. Now something happens on the property, and there's an there's an accident. Uh, what happens? Who is liable in this scenario? And I'm going to give a part B to this also because I really want to flesh out this issue. Part B is Jane has a credit card debt. Credit collector is coming after Jane. Can the credit collector? And I'll finish that question for Matt. Can we had a little technical difficulty? Can the credit card company come after the rental property because she's on title? Ooh, I like it, Matt. Part A, part B. Really good question. I love it. All right. Well, folks, if you have an answer to Matt's burning question for this week, as soon as you hear it, I don't care if it's Saturday night and you're just <laughs> up returning some email, quickly reply to Mark at KKOSLawyers.com or Matt, M-A-T at KKOSLawyers.com with your correct response and the most correct and earliest response we receive will uh, win a copy of either of our books. All right. Now, Matt, okay. The topic at hand, let's introduce our special guest and then we're going to go to break. We've got Randy Lupke coming out here again. Just amazing wealth of knowledge, a licensed financial advisor, a real estate broker, a loan officer, life insurance agent. I mean, he's got everything. He understands financial <laughs> situations. And he is also an expert on cybersecurity. He's got a great survey that you can take online to assess your cybersecurity. So uh, folks, this is something you can't take lightly. It's not if your private technical information is going to be compromised, it's when. So we'll be right back after the break and talking about cybersecurity.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. We have Randy Lubke on. He is, as we have introduced, a financial advisor, but also has some expertise in cybersecurity. Um, and we want to talk about that. We know this is an issue business owners, investors, we all face as consumers. So we want to cover that and give some tips so to make sure you can better protect yourself and your assets, your credit, uh, all those things, your privacy, geez, all those things that uh, come up in this topic. So, um, Randy, why don't you give us a, a quick kickoff on why this is so important and uh, maybe give us some example of some quick things to be doing or some problems you've seen as people get into this cybersecurity issue. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me on uh, your show. And uh, I think your listeners are going to get a lot of benefit from uh, from learning the tips we're going to talk about today because, frankly, since we all connected to the Internet, you know, back in the 80s, uh, we're now this globally interconnected world. And the the ability for anyone to access anything anywhere, anytime, while it's awesome when you want to get a, an answer to a question, can really create a lot of personal nightmares if you, people are accessing information and you're not aware of it. That's really what the topic's about. Well, I love it. Just a little shout out to Al Gore. Thank you, Al, for the internet <laughs> and the problem we now have with cybersecurity. So, you know, it's, as you know, nine degrees of Kevin Bacon or nine degrees of Al Gore. I don't know which what it is. So, all right. No, this is good stuff. Now, what I'd like that, and I've already alluded to this or a little earlier in the show, is that what Randy has done on his website, he's got an excellent blog. And folks, in our newsletter this coming week, make sure all of you are regular uh, subscribers to our weekly newsletter. We'll have a link to this blog article by Randy. And he's highlighted nine simple things you can start doing right away to protect your cyber uh, security. And then it finishes with the opportunity to take a little audit. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's a, just kind of a 15-minute process to go through and assess how much you're living on the edge. Are you living wild and loose, crazy? What is it? You know. So we want to try to assess that. So I don't know if we need to go through these in order. Maybe we won't cover all nine. But Randy, let me just ask you, which one of your favorite of these nine that just is like a no-brainer that we all should be doing? Yeah, well, number one, uh, you know, this is this should be an obvious one, but it's really not. Um, and so, just to to kind of elaborate, that uh, number one is set up an administrative account on your computer. Now, what I mean by that is most operating systems that we use for for our computers today, you're either going to be in the Apple world or you're going to be in the Microsoft world. When Microsoft accounts are set up, when you load that Windows onto your computer for the very first time. The default user uh, ability is administrator, which allows you to add programs and delete programs and do all this this kind of uh, you know stuff to your computer. Well, the problem is if it lets you do that, it also lets the bad guys do that. And so what happens is you go to visit a website or you get an email with a link or a photograph or an attach or attachment or something, and you click on that thinking it's what you uh, something you want to read or see or whatever, and all of a sudden this malicious software gets downloaded and installed on your computer. Well, you can stop that, completely stop that from happening by adding a non-administrative account to your computer and then using that as your primary logon on your computer. And then anytime you, somebody tries to run an executable on your computer, it just won't happen. It'll stop unless you allow it to with a special password. That's my favorite, easiest, and simplest thing to do. All right, let's talk about, I want to talk about passwords. I mean, a lot of the, you know, on the news, we hear these security breaches and, you know, XYZ company got hacked. And uh, one of the big things is passwords and people getting access to logins, 
and, and passwords. And I think all of us have passwords on our phones to our, you know, our mobile devices. Are, are they really phones anymore? I guess, you know, mobile <laughs> devices, whatever we're calling them now. Uh, our, our laptops, our computers, I mean, our emails, our banking. I mean, all this stuff has users and passwords. What do we need to know about passwords? What should we be doing on passwords? Yeah, it's another great question. So this is tip number five. Passwords should be really long and very complex and unique so that they can't be cracked. Uh, you know, if, if you use a simple password like your dog's name or maybe the school you went to at, you know, at some point, uh, you know, through social networking or just through brute force attacks where basically they have software that just tries password after password after password, thousands of them a second, eventually they could break through. But if you have a password that's, say, 13, 14, 15, 16 characters long that also has uh, uppercase and lowercase as well as numbers and symbols in it, it's literally impossible to be able to crack that password. And that's what you, you should be using for your passwords. Uh, Randy, you're killing me, though. i got to say, practically speaking, <laughs> I, I love my Mark1234. Uh, feel free, anybody, you can use that. Uh, no, uh -huh. it's not. Obviously, my password's not that or that simple. But... It is pretty simple. I, I mean, I, I, they're very unique names that I don't think it's not my kid's name or my dog's name, but they're unique names that I can remember in a couple digits. But man, I just can't envision myself doing a nine-digit password with upper and lowercase and numbers. Um, are there certain websites that you, or certain software programs or certain logins that should really have that? And then other ones, who cares? Like my my Instagram password, does that have to be nine digits versus my Wells Fargo banking password. You know, I, I, I know. Do you draw the limit with some logins that are a little less risky? What do you think? No, no, I don't. I don't. I think all passwords, they should be longer than nine characters, by the way. They should be at least eight and, and more like, like I said, more like 12, 13, up to 16 uh, characters. And I know it's a hassle, but that's the, that's the thing with security. You have to trade off convenience for security. And you could take it to you know, very high levels, of course. But if you use something called a password vault, uh, password vault basically is a, uh, a way to store all these complex passwords into one box. And then you only need to remember one complex password to get into that box. And then that box can communicate with all these other websites and, and logons for you in a secure way that nobody can get to. It protects it. Password vaults are a really good tool. Is that an actual website, Password Vault, or is that just a, a term of art? It's a term. It's a term. The one, the one I use, uh, and I, I don't think it hurts to mention a brand name, but I use the company called LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S. -S. Okay. And uh, LastPass is really simple. It's extremely affordable. In fact, they even have a free version. And uh, the paid version, it, 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 it's, again, very inexpensive, and it allows you to have one vault that you can access all your passwords through your mobile devices, through your computers, um, all, all those different devices, those things are updated and communicated with. And best of all, those passwords aren't even stored on, that, on the uh, uh, LastPass's sites. They're encrypted at the site, so not even that, they can find out what the, the passwords are that you're, you're storing in their vault. Really good system. Okay. Who I, you know, I, ugh, well, we could talk about passwords forever. I know that is a huge threat area, and um, I'm, I'm like, Mark, it's like, oh, you gotta, you gotta value that security over the convenience. I, I hear you. Um, let's talk about uh, internet usage and uses of uh, stuff we post on social media. 
What are some quick tips and things to be you know, careful about on social media accounts and things you're putting out there from a cybersecurity threat? Yeah, yeah. So now we're talking about uh, uh, another uh, security hack called social engineering, where if you have yourself posted on Facebook and LinkedIn and you know, you're doing Twitter and all these things, it, for somebody were smart enough and took enough time, they could figure out a lot of things about you, like where you went to school, where you were born, what age you are, maybe even your birth date. And if they get enough of this information, to get, yeah, if they get enough of this information together, they could use that against you, trying to get somebody to uh, to maybe reauthorize issuing a new password to an account you're trying to get in. Um, and that's why I uh, I like to use whenever possible. You can use something called a two-factor identification system. Uh, sorry, sorry to make this even more complicated, guys, but two-factor is really a good secure system. Uh, are we going to have some time to talk more about that, or should we just leave it at that? No, no that, that sounds good. Uh, why don't you, uh, if you can explain it here, we've got about a minute or so before the break. Uh, can you sum it up? And then we'll definitely, we need to keep you after this next break, Randy. All right. So two-factor identification, as the name implies, means you have to have two things in order to access a website. So one thing would be your password. And again, we've already said we want to make it long and complex. But the second thing would be something that you have. Um, and it could be an app on your phone. Uh, uh, Google makes a, uh, uh, an authorization uh, software that will basically change a, a six-digit authorization code every 30 seconds. So in other words, I go to the website, I put in my password, but still I have to look at my, my phone to get this authorization code that's going to change every 30 seconds. So the only way a hacker could get into your site is, it, in other words, not only would they need your password, but they need to have your authorization code and they need to have it right there in real time. So two-factor authentication is offered by mm -hmm. most banks these days and a lot of other websites. It's always yeah. free and it always should be used if, if available. I love it. Well, yeah. folks, we're going to be right back after the break and talking about how you have to give blood before you could get into your Facebook password program. So whatever it takes, <laughs> right? Unbelievable. Security, what have we come to? All right, folks, we'll be right back after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone, to the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. We've got Randy Lubke here talking about cybersecurity. Now, we know this topic. I mean, Mark's joking about having to give blood to get on your Facebook account. And it's sad, you know, that we live in a world where we really have to be so cautious about this. But, you know, this is the number one area of growing threats for consumers. Every law enforcement agency will tell you that. They're freaked out by this. It's happening a lot. And uh, so we got to be careful. We all are familiar with security. We take just, you know, lock up your house and your cars and personal belongings. But all this financial information, all this commerce transacted online, so critical we protect it. So um, I want to just make another uh, uh, point here. And I love that two-factor identification thing. I use that. We use that for banking, you know, in our businesses. And, and personally also, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a pain, but it is very uh, safe and secure. But I want to ask you, Randy, about services for people, business owners and on the consumer side of credit monitoring services or services like LifeLock. Um, what, what do you think of those services? When should you be using those? 
Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different things you can do, and some, again, are free and some you pay for. Um, I know on my credit cards, I receive, the second I make a charge, I receive a text message and an email alerting me that a charge has been made to my account. And, uh, you know, you can, you can literally follow your spouse all over town and see where charges are being made. But what a, what a piece yeah. of mind for, for free to, to see what's going on with, with, uh, with charges on your account. Uh, it won't notify yeah. if new accounts are open, though, just accounts that are, that are there today. Yeah, go ahead, Tony. I uh, no, I was going to say Matt used to have that on his uh, account, but he couldn't get any work done. It was just like ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so, yeah. So, sorry, Catherine. I'm taking a shot out at Catherine there. She, I she knows I'm. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I think credit monitoring is very, very important. And finding one that will alert you when someone tries to access your credit, as well as when your charges are, could be, be being made, um, password uh, alerts when passwords have changed, uh, little things like that. I love it. Um, what's yeah, next, Randy? I know you got to just well, yeah, thing, keep going. I, I do say personally, I like to shut it down. I like to be in a position where people can't even try to open credit under my name. So the way you, you do that is you have to contact each one of the agencies, and you can file a credit freeze. And a credit freeze, again, will just make, it un, make your credit unavailable to anybody that even had all the information to open up credit under your name. Then the challenge is, and this is where companies like LifeLock and so on come in, the challenge is those credit freezes are only temporary, and you have to go back in and reapply for them uh, periodically. This is what LifeLock will do for you uh, automatically as part of their service. However, if you're ever a victim of credit fraud, and, and frankly, um, most everybody that's listening to this call today and everybody in the United States has had their, uh, their private information compromised, um, you can go down and file a police report uh, for that credit fraud, and once you have that police report in hand, you can file a permanent freeze uh, with all three agencies on your um, report so nobody can access credit, nobody can open credit in your name, and for you to unfreeze it is really simple. You just go online with your PIN and your password, and you can unfreeze it temporarily and then put it back on. That's a better way to doing it, mm -hmm. and again, it's free, free to you. Yeah, I love that. I love those tips. That's a those services, I think, can be very valuable. I love that that permanent freeze strategy also. Well, um, Randy, I want to talk about backup systems. You know, sometimes, you know, we think about stuff's in the cloud or, you know, is it getting, am I backing up things from my email to um, my business records to my accounting records to my tax returns or whatever it is? This is a private information, secure information, unique information. Um uh, what, what should people be doing in terms of backing up their information that's on their computers or somewhere in the cloud? Yeah, so the, the rule of thumb there, Matt, is you need three copies of everything always. So you should have the original, which you know, lives on your computer. You should have a 24-7 a, uh, continuous backup of any changes that you're making to your computer while you're making them. And then periodically, you should have like an off-site backup to uh, uh, something physical like a hard drive or a thumb drive, something that, that you could store in a remote location. But for every piece of data, you want to have it in three places. That's a safe and secure system. Well, and uh, one side note, I'm going to add something here that was actually in my book, the Tax and Legal Playbook, when it came to the privacy section. Uh, this was a little ch tip from uh, JJ Luna that I learned, and that is being careful what you put on your laptop. If you're going to keep secure information on your C drive on your computer at home and then have the backups that Randy's talking about. Uh, a, a tip that I've come to believe in is don't put anything sensitive on your laptop. Take your laptop, go to work, travel, 
then come back and move your files. Uh, too many stories of people leaving a laptop in the security line at the airport or getting a laptop stolen and that secure information's on that laptop and then it's out there. So just a little thought, thought I'd throw that out. Thanks, Mark. And you know, just to add to that, um, Microsoft has a built-in security feature called BitLocker, which will which will completely encrypt your hard drive on your computer. And again, without that uh, password to your BitLocker drive, the computer is basically a paperweight. And so I always recommend everybody completely encrypt their hard drive, completely encrypt their thumb drives, and completely encrypt all your cellular devices as well, because it's the same problem. You have a lot of private information on cell phones. You need that encrypted too. I love it. Now, Randy, thank you for being with us today. I want to just throw out uh, on our newsletter this coming week, we'll have a link to that audit. But real quick, uh, Randy, your website, lifetimeparadigm.com. Is that okay? Do you want to repeat that? Lifetime, yeah, lifetimeparadigm.com, and the audit is available there. Just go to the blogs tab, and you'll find this is the most recent blog posted. Uh, you can download the audit, take a look at it yourself. Uh, you know, learn about cybersecurity. It's you know, it, 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 there's just so much valuable information that you want to protect, and and you, you just like you wouldn't leave the keys in your car and the windows rolled down. You don't want to do that with the uh, the private information you have on your computers and and cellular devices either. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Randy. Appreciate you being on the show. Now, we want to encourage everyone who listens to the show, give us some five-star reviews on iTunes. We got a new review this week from MEB3D, says information you can use. Mark and Matt, thank you for the valuable information to the small business owner. I've used a tax advisor for more than 30 years, and in just listening to three podcasts, I've received three times more valuable and useful, useful information than I received over the past 30 years. Well, wow. <laughs> thanks for that that review. Uh, let us know, uh, MEB3D. You know, give us Mark or I an email. Uh, we can't tell from your handle. We'd like to send you a free copy of either one of our books. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on the Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorn. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Mm-hmm.